Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. If you have come in here tonight and you think, man, I got some issues, welcome to the club. We all got issues, start with me first. And we are so excited to get into God's word so that we can be able to navigate this thing called life, so that we can navigate this thing that maybe you've walked in here as a quarter life crisis where you're carrying some debt, you're carrying some relational baggage, you're carrying some dysfunction, and you are in good company. And we're gonna look at God's word and begin, begin to learn some principles that we can apply in our life so that we can navigate this thing called life in a way that brings honor and glory to our maker. Well, I don't know if you've ever had a moth infestation. I don't know if you've had one of these before, but we had one. And I'm not from here. You'll figure that, that out here in a second when I, as I keep talking. But I, we're from the south, and, and we don't really have moths in the south. I don't guess. I guess it's too hot down there or something. Anyway, as we moved to the Midwest, um, we, uh, incur- we encountered some moths in a very, very distinct and infested way. And so we have this spare bedroom in our house. I don't know if y'all have one of these, but it's kind of like the junk room. And, and this would be the last place that you would expect a moth infestation because moths, they typically, um, they like to infest your pantry, you know, where your food and all that stuff is. And so um, one, one night I go into this spare bedroom and I notice that there's some moths up in the ceiling. I'm like, oh, there's some moths, you know? And I think, well, maybe I, maybe I bought a jacket from Goodwill or something I shouldn't have bought and maybe I brought some moths in through that or, or maybe I, I don't know. And I start looking at all my clothes and I'm trying to figure out where did this moth come from? And, and so what I did is that I got this little thing called... Um, a bug zapper. I don't know if you ever used one of these before. Now, these are a lot of fun, all right? So this, this puts out some electricity right here, and you get to basically give some shock treatment to whatever insect you come into contact with. Some of y'all out there buying some VR games, some Oculus and stuff, I just got one of these and a moth infestation. I'm in there just doing this sort of thing. So I go in there every night for the series of, of really weeks upon months, y'all. Every night, this was kind of my activity. I put the kids to bed, and I'd be like, hey, babe, I'm gonna go slay some moths real quick. And I go into the spare bedroom, and I'm just killing moths. And, and one time, we go out of, we went out of town during this season, and when I came back, I kid you not, I probably killed 30 to 40 moths that had grown during that week of time that we were out of the town. And so eventually I started thinking, where are these moths coming from, you know? And I'm like, this is, this is kind of run its course where I've been killing all these moths. And so I'm thinking, where's the source? Where's the source? At least they're contained in this spare bedroom. They're not getting into our food and stuff. And then one day I'm in there doing my thing, you know, killing the moths. And I, and I bump up against this grocery sack. See, my wife, she didn't tell me that she put some groceries in this, be, in this bedroom. And so I look at this grocery sack and I look inside and there are these dried peppers that we had bought at this grocery store to make some chili. And so um, I look inside of this dried peppers grocery sack, and there are so many moths in this grocery sack. So many moths, it kind of gave me like the heebie-jeebies. You know, you're watching Fear Factor back in the day, and they're like, should we eat the cockroaches or the worms? You know, it's one of those deals. And so like, I, I'm like, oh, wow, this is the source. And so here's what I did in order to get a hold of my moth problem. I killed one moth at a time as I discovered the source of the problem. And so every night I was taking captive these moths while I discovered the source of the problem. And I share that with you tonight because the same way you kill moths is the same way, is the same way that you kill negative thinking in your mind. That you and I, we've come in here tonight and there are some things that we think in our mind that are leading us to believe some things that is causing some consequences in our life 
that we need to grab a hold of and we need to begin to take captive thought by thought as we discover the source so that we can attack patterns of negative thinking. Uh, The Bible, it says this in Proverbs 23, verse seven. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, I love that the Bible is out ahead of some things because the, the science community and the neuroscience community, they're just now catching up with what the Bible says. And, and what I mean by that is this, is that the scientific community, they've discovered more in the last 20 years about the way that we think than all of human history. And so in this century, we've learned more about the way that we think than ever before. And here's what neuroscientists are saying. They're saying this, that what we fire, we wire. And and basically, they're just saying what the Bible said thousands of years ago in the book of wisdom, that as you think in your heart, so are you. And what the scientists are saying is what we fire in our mind, we wire, like I was reading some research this week and one of the studies I came upon, it kind of just blew my mind. It, it said this, that over 75% or the majority of our mental, physical, and behavioral illness comes from our thoughts. Isn't that crazy? That, that if we could just slow down and think about what we're thinking about, we could gain an advantage in life. So we're concluding this series called Help, a series on mental health where we've been trying to have a frank discussion about something that is plaguing most of us, if not all of us, in some form or fashion, and understanding how Jesus responds to the, mental, the mentally ill community, how Jesus responds to, to this subject matter, and, and is there anything in the Bible that we can equip ourselves with to be able to navigate this thing called mental illness? And so week one, here's what we did, is we, we tried to remove the stigma that that exist in places like this, you know, like how, how we get so clumsy around like mental illness, you know, we're like, we're confident around cancer, but somebody says, I'm depressed and I'm thinking about taking my own life. We're like, oh, what to do? You know, we just get real clumsy, but we're saying, no, no, no. When you read the life of Jesus, what you find is that those that society has kind of said, we need to dodge them. Jesus is like, no, nah, we need to draw near to them. And if you're here and maybe you're not up to date with what we've talked about, let me just say something clearly, that if Jesus was here, here's what he would say to you. You're not alone. You are not forgotten, and this will not last forever. And so we went to work in this series, and you can catch up because there's some incredible tools that we dropped in your lap in order for you to be able to navigate some of the things that maybe you're going through. And then, and then last week, we had Dr. Jeff Cox in the house, and I, I almost charged that brother rent because he's been living in my mind all week. I don't know about y'all, I've been like, that seventh question, that ninth one, whew, what does this even mean, you know? <laughs> so like, it was so good and so helpful, and I, and I hope that you go back and listen to some of those things. But tonight, we're gonna conclude this series with the message that I've titled, Help. Help, so if you're taking notes, you could write that word down, H-E-L-P. And I wanna give you four things that you can implement in your life so that you can combat some of the negative thought patterns in your life in the hopes that you will live a life that is free from mental illness. Now, I do wanna say this real quick, is, is that this series that we've been in, it is primarily talking about illness as it pertains to sins and struggles, not necessarily about our chemistry, all right? Like, like some of you maybe have confused that a little bit, and I just wanna be clear that, that if you have a chemical imbalance, it is okay and it is right for you to go see a doctor, all right? 
and it's okay and it is right for you to go seek counseling and they will equip you with some tools that you can use and implement in your life to get your head above the water, so to speak, so that you can begin to process some of the things that we've been talking about in this series. But as we get into the, God, the word of God, what I see all the time in the New Testament is that, is that God wants us to come to know him in a very real way, and then he wants to equip us to be able to live the life that we were made to live. And there's this guy named Paul, and Paul was like one of the greatest theologians in the Bible. And, and here's what he understood that Jesus said. Jesus said that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. So Paul, he had heard these words from Jesus and so he spent the majority of his life, once he met Jesus, trying to help people, just like you and me, figure out what it means to live abundant life. Because it sounds good that Jesus would say, hey, I've got life for you that's gonna be abundant. And we're all like, yes, that's what I want. How do I get that, right? And so Paul, he's writing to these Christians and he's saying, these are the things that you do in order to live this life called the abundant life. And so he's got some friends in the town called Corinth and no doubt people were all, uh, all kind of running crazy, doing their own things and needing some help, figuring out how do you follow Jesus. Corinth was a crazy town. Anyway, he writes to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and here's what he says. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So what Paul is saying here is, is that there is something more than what we can see going on in our life. Like, like he's saying that, that though we are here in this building and, and all of y'all look great and we're sitting in comfortable chairs and, and, and everything we can see, touch, and taste, and smell, he's saying there's something else going on beneath the surface. And I think that we can all collectively agree that there, is, there are some things that we can't see but we can't deny and so Paul is saying is that though we walk in the flesh, though we have flesh and bone and we're, we're living life this way, he said we don't war and we don't win the battle according to the flesh. And here's what I've come to know as I've worked with people, that mental illness, it doesn't discriminate. And what I mean by that is this. Again, you've come in here, man, y'all look good. You smell good. You look good, you know, I mean, I just, some of y'all look just great, you know, thanks so, so much for dressing up tonight, and, and here's what I know to be true, is that you could come in here, you could look good, you could drive a good car, have a good job, but just because everything's good on the outside, it doesn't mean that everything's good on the inside. And then somebody coming here looking jank, you know, they can look broke down, and you're like, mm, that person's got issues, then you start sitting with them and talking with them, like, man, that person's got more joy, more poor peace, more happiness than I got. In mental illness, it does not discriminate that there are oftentimes more to the story and more beneath the surface going on. And so that's what Paul's saying. And, and here's what he's saying, that we've got to understand that we are at a war, that the greatest battle in our generation is in the trenches of our brain. And Paul, he's writing to us ultimately, and he's saying these are some truths that you can employ to be able to battle against this battle. And he says this in verse four. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He's saying they're not earthly. It's not all about these things that we can taste and touch and smell. He said, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. He's saying the weapons that we've got to use to employ, they can pull down strongholds. Now, when you think of strongholds, I want you to think of like a, a thought castle that's inside of your brain. And you're looking at that thing going, man, how are we gonna pull that stronghold down? And here's what he says in verse five. Casting down arguments, some translations say imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What, what you could just kind of put in summary there is every lie, everything that is not truth, he's saying that we have something that we can use to pull those things down. 
And then he says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That Paul, what he's saying is that once you're in Christ, you gain the power to control your mind. But in order for you to do that, you have to start with being honest about the lies that are in your mind. Point number one, if you're taking notes now, you could write this down. Honesty about lying. Honesty about lying. So in order for us to tear down these castles of lies, these castles of untruth, these strongholds of negativity in our mind, we've got to be honest about them. We've said in this series, no more games. This is the moment in which you get honest about the things that you've been thinking about that are not leading you to life and life abundantly, and you draw a line in the sand, you begin to wage war against those things, no more justifying, no more lying. And so in order for you to kind of start thinking about the the popular lies that are floating around in your mind, I just want to ask you this question, what's your favorite lie? What's the lie that you've hung on to the the longest? What's the lie that just kind of lingers in your mind? Now, up until this point, some of y'all, you don't really jive with the Bible, and we're glad that you're here. If you don't jive with the Bible, let me just kind of introduce to you a new term. Maybe you've heard of this before from the psychological community, and, and they would say this, that all of us have come in here tonight with a cognitive bias, And a cognitive bias, if you're taking notes, here's what a cognitive bias is. It's a systematic error in thinking. And so the psychology community, they're saying this, that we are all born and shaped by our experiences and then we get exposed to something early on and we develop this cognitive bias or this systematic error in thinking and then we begin to allow that thing to define our life. That one theologian and pastor, he says this, that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Think about that. Your life, my life, is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So if you wanna change your life, you have to change your thinking. Change your thinking and you change your life. Paul, he would say that you have these weapons in Christ that are strong for pulling down these strongholds and you can take captive every thought. Now, some of us, when we hear this, like, what's your favorite lie? You automatically know. There was something said to you when you were in middle school and you've been replaying that thing and it's morphed and it's grown into something ugly and like, you know, and you struggle with this thing, but you already, and others of you are like, you know what? I don't know what my favorite lie. I don't know what the lie is that is lingering in my mind. And you may have to do some more investigation, but here's the point. All of us need to be honest about the things that we're thinking about. And we need to find the source. So those moths, again, every night I would go in and I'm sitting here just killing all these moths and it took me weeks to finally find the source. And when you begin to get honest about the lies that you're listening to, what you're doing is that you are finding the source and you are quitting, spending too much time fighting the symptoms and you're working to the source. So the book that Mary mentioned earlier, the lady that did the MC, she mentioned this book by a woman named Jenny Allen, a great resource. And the book is called Get Out of Your Head. Now, in the book, she begins to ask some questions that I wanna ask you, and she offers this exercise, and I would encourage you to do this exercise maybe tonight or in the next couple of days so that you can begin to process some of these truths that we're talking about. And and here's what she said. Get out a sheet of paper, and imagine that that paper is your brain, and you just start writing out the lies that are potentially in your mind. And once you start writing them out, you may write out things that you, are, you have believed for some time, like the lie, I'm worthless. You may write out on that sheet of paper, I'm not gonna make it. You may write out there, I'm ugly, I'm helpless, I'm unlovable. 
I'm a failure. I'm not where I should be. I'm stupid. I'm no good. Or whatever lie comes to your mind. Once you have them all written out, you've been brainstorming, literally, about these lies, then you need to figure out which is the most prominent lie. Which is the one that just surfaces to the top. And then here's what you need to realize, that the word of God says that those lies do not come from God, they come from your enemy. That Jesus, when he was talking about his opponent, El Diablo, Satan himself, what he was saying is this in John 8, after Jesus had already said that I've come to set you free, he said this, but you need to be careful because there is one that is gonna lie to you. And here's what he says in John 8, Speaking of Satan, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. That's all the enemy knows how to speak. And then he goes on to say this, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That the only thing that Satan, our enemy, can procreate is lies. And so as you're brainstorming and writing down all of those lies, here's what you need to understand, that all of those lies are ultimately connected to your enemy. (laughs) And so you you need to look at those and go, are these rooted in any sort of truth? And the resounding answer is no. See, we all have lies that we brought in here tonight. Call them cognitive biases. The Bible calls them lies from the enemy. And God is saying in his word that we need to learn how to take them captive. But in order to take them captive, we gotta know what they are. One of the familiar foes in my life is this lie that I believe I'm not good enough. Now, I don't know where your lie comes from, but when I look back at my life and as I've been thinking about this message, I've kind of pinpointed a few different moments in my life that have led me to believe I'm not good enough. Like, I remember when I was in first grade, I had this wart in my nose. And um, y'all don't laugh at me. I know y'all always want to laugh at me. It's my story, all right? I had this wart in my nose, and my mom put this medicine on it that made it turn white. So I'm walking around first grade like this. You know, like, that's my wart. Anyway, <clears throat> Y'all get that later. I'm walking around first grade, and, and I've got this wart in my nose. My mom puts this mess on, makes it turn white, and I remember, I can laugh about it now, but I remember people saying, you're ugly. They're making fun of me. You have a booger in your nose, you know, that sort of thing, how first graders do. Fast forward a few years, I get into the awkward age of middle school, and, and uh, I didn't know this at the time, but two is better than one when it comes to your eyebrows, fellas. And so I'm, that's for free. For somebody here tonight, you, hey, two eyebrows better than one, all right? We need a chasm, okay? Ladies like that better than, than not, all right? And so um, I didn't know that back in the day, and I was hitting puberty, you know, growing hair and all this stuff at a rapid rate, and, uh, and, and my, you know, my bridge had, had been built, you know, my, my, my brow bridge, right? And... Um, and so um, I remember getting made fun of when I was in middle school, like, oh, Glover's got a unibrow. I didn't even know what that was. I'd like, go Google, unibrow. I'm like, oh, need to tweeze that thing, right? And I remember just story after story. So I'm in middle school. I mean, I'm in high school now, and I break my nose when I'm a freshman, and then I break my tooth when I'm a sophomore, and, and then I'm thinking, man, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And, and when I came to Christ, I realized that I'm not defined by those things, but that lie has a tendency to creep up in my life. Like, like even last week, we had this guy come in, Dr. Jeff Cox, and as he's preaching, I'm thinking, dang, that's good. Like that brother, like he brought the house to everybody, you know, everybody just like sitting here like this, like wow. You know, I, I remember even leaving and somebody was complimented how great of a message that was. And in that moment, I have a choice to make. 
Am I gonna believe the lie that he is somehow more superior or he's better? Am I gonna get on YouTube and see how many likes or how many views his video got versus my video and then allow that to define my life? And there's part of me that will go back to that same old lie, you're not enough. That's my story, I don't know about your story. What's your favorite lie? And once we get honest about our lie, what do we do with it? Well, what the word of God says is that you go and, and you, you quit being conformed to the world. That's what it says in Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to this world. What Paul is saying here, he's saying, don't believe the lie. He's saying, you have a choice. You can recognize it and you don't have to be shaped by it any longer. Do not be conformed to this world. But he says this, but be transformed. That's the goal, that you would have a transformation in your thinking. And he says the way that you can live a transformed life, the way that you don't have to walk the way of your father, the way that you don't have to walk the way of your mama, the way that you can change your life is by the renewing of your mind. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. Exchange the lie for the truth. Exchange the lie for the truth. What Paul is saying is that you, you wanna destroy the strongholds? You wanna take down the, the, the castles of lies in your mind? You wanna take captive every thought while you find the source? You wanna take back your brain? You gotta renew your mind. So what's your favorite lie? And why do you keep believing it? Paul, he's trying to help some of his friends in a town called Philippi in Philippians chapter four, and, and he gives them this admonition. He says this, hey guys, quit being anxious. He actually says, be anxious for nothing. He says, but by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And, and he says, with thanksgiving, then he goes on to tell them, hey, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's excellent, praiseworthy, whatever's right, he, he says, think about those things. Like Paul, he, he would, maybe if you just took one of those at a time, he said, hey, whatever's true, Cast your mind upon that thing. What is truth to you? Do you know? If you would question whether or not the Bible's true, if you would question whether or not God's true, why don't you use that same question and question what your truth is? And if you don't have a standard of truth, let me just say what I believe and what I found to be true is that God is true. And when God is true, then so many things begin to fall into place that are hope-filled. Like if God is true, then his love is true. If God is true, then his grace is true. If God is true, then his forgiveness is true. If God is true, then restarts are a reality. If God is true, then new beginnings can mark your life. If God is true, the resurrection is true, hope is alive, and so you can find healing, you can find restoration, and you can find love in Christ. And you have to learn how to exchange the lie that you've been believing with the truth of God. So let me introduce you to this grid real quick. Jenny, she helps us out with this in her book, and I just wanted to kind of leave this resource with y'all and introduce this resource to y'all. You can kind of see it up there, that if you were to write this down and, and you begin to work through this tonight, you could just ask these three questions and then make this one commitment. First of all, what is it? 
What is it? This is the category where you said, okay, what's the lie that I'm believing? Again, for me, I would put in this quadrant, I'm not enough. That's what I would put there. And then the second one is, is it true? And again, we've already established that based upon what Jesus says about me, this is not a truth. But then I've got to ask in the third quadrant, what does God say about it? And this is the part that begins to inform with authority that that lie is exactly a lie. And so the way that you understand what God says about it is that you've got to get into this book, y'all. Don't you know that God has made some unblemishing promises that begin to interpret the negative thinking that we have in our mind? And so like when I think I'm not enough, I just go to like Genesis chapter one. I'm made in the image of God. And then I go to Jeremiah chapter one. It says that he knit me together in my mother's womb. Then I go to Psalm 139, and it says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Then I go to Ephesians 2.10, and it says that I am God's workmanship. And then I begin to look through the lens of Scripture and allow the truth of God to interpret the lie that I tend to believe. And so when that creepy serpent lie, whatever, when that, when that lie comes in my mind that's saying, you're not enough, I say, get out of here. God says this about me. He says this about me. And if the God of the galaxies looks at me and says, you are enough, then I am. And the fourth admonition or the fourth encouragement in the grid is, is that you've got to make the choice. Ultimately, you, I could give you Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse that would interpret the lie that is lingering in your mind, but you have to make a choice by faith. I'm gonna believe this, not up here, but I'm gonna believe it in my heart. And maybe you begin to just do what the Bible says, that if you believe in your heart the promises of God and you confess with your mouth that he's the boss of your life, you'll be saved, but also you'll begin to be able to walk in that victory. And so the way that I do this practically is that I pray. And if you haven't learned how to pray, man, you are missing one of the greatest gifts that God has given you. So about six years ago, I remember I was reading through the book of Isaiah, and, and I, was, I was really struggling with this, like, God, what do you say about me? And, and I remember reading through the book of Isaiah, and the prominent theme I picked up in Isaiah was like God saying, hey, listen, listen. It's like God saying, shut up when you pray, all right? Just listen, Okay. And so, so I would get on my face, and when I pray, I, I get down on my face, and I put my face to the ground. And, and for about three years, I was quiet while I prayed. I didn't say hardly anything. You ever try to be quiet? You know, it just seems like the noise gets turned up in your mind when you're quiet. It was like God was saying, you need to listen, but, but he had to discipline me to to get me in a quiet place so that I could learn how to turn the volume down on the race that was running in my mind. And as I got quiet, the thing that I felt, God didn't speak to me like in an audible voice, but the thing I felt God saying to me over and over and over is, Chad, you're mine. And that may not sound real theological or real spiritual to you, but that's exactly what I needed to hear. Because if I am God's, I'm enough. Chad, be quiet, listen. Don't miss this. For three years, let me remind you, you are mine. And that is enough. 
And so we begin to labor in prayer. When we pray, God is allowing us to confirm the promises that he's trying to help us understand so that we can move from this sort of, oh my goodness, I'm so caught in my own head believing these lies from the enemy, but we're saying, no, I'm gonna open up the word of God and I'm gonna allow the word of God to begin to interpret my mind. And I love this verse by, or this quote by A.W. Tozer, a famous theologian in the last century. He said this, if God is exalted, a thousand minor problems will be cast down at once. I love that. And so we gotta get honest about our lies. We have to exchange those lies for truth. And then we have to learn how to open up and invite others into our struggle. First John chapter one, verse seven says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What John is saying here is that you are not meant to do life alone. For some of you, I, I have conversations with young adults and with people all the time, and like, man, they're like, man, I'm following Jesus, I'm following Jesus. And I'm like, are you getting connected in community? And when they say, no, I'm doing this on my own, my heart breaks because I know it's just a matter of time until you get picked off by the enemy. And we must seek to do life together. We were made to do life together. That when John's saying this, he's saying that, that we live in the light, we have fellowship with one another that we get into community with one another. Point number three, if you're taking notes, you could write this down. Live in the light, live in the light. So here's my question for you. Who knows what you're going through? And who do you know that's going through something? And if you're carrying something around by yourself, listen, if it's a sin, sin's like a fungus, it grows in the dark and it dies in the light. If it's a sin, you are giving power to sin in your life because the power of sin is in secrecy. Who knows what you're going through? And who do you know that's going through something? Paul, he's writing to this church in Galatia and he's trying to help them understand that there's really two types of things going on in our life. Like there's, there's this category of burdens and this category of what he calls the load. And he says that burdens are something that we have to carry with one another, that you need people in your life to, he says, to bear one another's burdens. And then he says at the conclusion of this section, he says, but each one of you should carry your own load. Here's what he says in Galatians 6, starting in verse two. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is that you love you love people like you love yourself. And he's saying that you need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what we've said is that there's, there's great research that said one out of two people are struggling with mental illness. And so like we are all called collectively to bear this burden with one another. He says this in verse three, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Again, it's okay to not be okay. We're all struggling through something. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. He says this, for each one shall bear his own load. So he says to bear one another's burdens, but bear your own load. What are you saying, Paul? What, what, which one is it? Are we supposed to all just share everything together when it comes to our issues, or are we supposed to just muscle up and do it on our own? Well, this word burden in the original language is the Greek word baros, if you're taking notes, baros. And it's a serious, heavy weight. And then load is the Greek word portion, in which we get our word portion, and it means cargo. So let's talk about loads first, because every one of us is called to bear our own load. 
Now, some of you are here, and the reason why you're, you're kind of having a hard time in your, in your mental space is because you're not carrying your own load. You're not doing what you can do. Some of y'all are so stressed out because your job situation, and, and one of the things that you can do, one of the ways that you can bear your own load, and, and I, I don't wanna be your dad in this moment, but let me just be a dad for a minute, all right? Fill out a resume and apply for a job, all right? And that may ease some of the anxiety that you're feeling from not having work. So I'm like, man, I just, I'm financially strapped. Have you filled out a resume? No. Jobs don't find you, okay? You've gotta go find them. You need to bear your own load. Others of you, man, I'm just, I'm having such a hard time and, and I'll start looking, okay, well tell me about what you've been eating lately. Well, I had this leftover pizza and uh, actually we had left it out all night, but I was like, you know, they put salt on it, it should be good. And it's like, all right, so you ate bad pizza and then you've been living on Red Bull and then you, and you, to take the edge off the Red Bull, you, you get a malt off whatever, you know, and, you, and then you do, and so you're like mixing alcohol and energy drinks and pizza. That's what you live on? Like, yeah, yeah. That's not good, all right? And some of you are like, man, I'm just so down. Well, you need to eat better, okay? Throw a piece of spinach in there, all right? Some of you, like, like what, what research tells us, and and I know we can laugh at this, but, but I think that like, this is more true than not. Like, research tells us if we would just exercise, there would be some levity in our mental life. Like there's our, our, our bodies are made to go and hit the, the gym. You know, people used to have to work, you know, work, work, and we don't have to work, work as much, so we gotta go to the gym. And, and here's what's ironic about our culture is that we go to gyms where there's valet parking. Think about that. Valet parking at the gym, all right? That's a side note. Anyway, so go to the gym and you need to work out. Like some of you, the reason why you are struggling mentally is because you're not taking care of yourself. You need to carry your own load. Get some sleep. You're not made to just not sleep. Some of y'all are having breakdowns at the office and you're stressed out about going to work because you stayed up all weekend, all right? Get some rest. Or some of you are just addicted to caffeine. Some of you are like, don't talk about my coffee, man. Don't talk about, uh-uh. No, you, but think about this, guys. Caffeine is a drug, and it's a drug that is so popular, especially in Kansas City. And I hate, I like coffee, all right? But, but we need to evaluate that maybe the reason why you're struggling with depression or anxiety it's because you drink so many espressos that your, run, your blood is racing and so then you get anxious and then when you start crashing, you get depressed. And you may be thinking that it's something, something way crazy or something way big and it just is your coffee regulation. That some of us need to evaluate what is it that we can do to carry our own load. But then there's burdens. And I think sometimes we get these things confused and, and people will treat a load like it's a burden. And like, no, you need, to, you need to grow up. Or what will happen is that people will treat a burden like it's a load. And they'll think that they just gotta man up or muscle up and they gotta just push through this and let no one into their life. A burden would be if somebody died in your life. If somebody dies in your life, you need to open up and that is a burden that you need to not carry alone. 
a burden could be that you go to the doctor, you find out that you have a chemical imbalance in your brain and they prescribe medicine, you need to let somebody in and say, hey, this is something that I'm doing and, and would you help me with this and make sure that I'm okay as I'm going through this journey? That's a burden. A burden would be something like, like you've gone through some abuse and you're just now coming to the place where you're ready to talk about that, you need to bear that burden with somebody. You are not meant to carry those things alone. Or one that I see so often in this community, a burden is a broken heart. That sometimes when we have our heart broken in a relationship, that can be the very moment where we consider taking our own life because those lies come back in, you're not enough, you're worthless, you're ugly, no one likes you. And we are not meant to carry those burdens alone. So you gotta be honest about the lies, you gotta exchange the lie for the truth, you have got to live in the light. And so you need to answer this question, who knows what you're going through and who do you know that's going through something? Paul, he would go on in Galatians chapter six, verse nine, and he would give this, this charge to this church in Galatia, and he would say this in verse nine, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Port number four, if you're taking notes. And finally tonight, you need to persevere. You gotta persevere. Paul's saying, don't give up. Keep pushing. Don't grow weary in doing good. For God will reward those in obedience. He's saying, let's go, keep, keep pushing, persevere. Persevere is one of the key themes of the Bible because the Bible would say that you and I are all in a battle. That there is an enemy that he wants to steal, kill, and destroy from everyone. But God wants to give you life, but you have to persevere. This isn't a one and done deal. You don't just come to paradigm tonight and you're good for the year. You don't just pray a prayer and everything's great. You are going to have to face some struggles in life. But God is with you and he will be your help. So I told y'all earlier that we had that moth infestation and I found the source, right? So I thought, okay, I found the source of those peppers and I threw them away and then we were good for like three or four months. I was like, yeah, got rid of the moth problem. You're like, yeah. You know, taking pictures like, ah, you know, you don't want none of this. Moths, get out of here, that's right. Then um, I was looking in the pantry one day and I started seeing worms in our pantry. And like, it wasn't like one worm, it was dozens of worms, y'all. And as I started looking in our pantry, I was like, oh my. Chelsea, we may need to move, you know. <laughs> really, she was saying that. I was like, we ain't, whoa, calm down, we don't need to move. Um, and, and so what I found is that those worms had gotten back in and... Um, and they infested a new part of our house. I want you to think of your mind like a house. The moths are like a lie. And the moths, once I got rid of them in one compartment of my house, they moved to another compartment and they came back stronger. They returned. And so here's what I had to do. Like I had to make some sacrifices and then I had to put some new patterns in, in, in place in my life. The sacrifices, we had to throw out a ton of food. I was like, mm. they were worms all in our cereals, gross. I had to throw away all the food. And then I had to take some sealed containers. And y'all have done this stuff. You had to put all this stuff in the sealed containers and start some new practices and, and put some things in freezers and stuff like that. 
And what I'm trying to say is that some of you, as a result of this message here tonight, Maybe you've had victory in one area, but that lie has moved into another part of your house. And some of you, the, re, the response to the message tonight is that you need to make some sacrifices. You may need to cut out a relationship. You may need to cut out a habit. And, and then once you sacrifice some things, you may need to put some new practices in place so that those moths or those lies don't move back in. But others of you, you're in a place where the thought of getting the energy to make the sacrifice, the thought of getting the energy to put in some new patterns is just too much. And some of you, the greatest encouragement I could give you is just to hold on. Don't give up. There was a guy back in the early 90s that went scuba diving with two of his friends. And one of his friends went into this cave under the water and his friend was in this cave and he was there a little bit too long and so he went in after his friend only to realize that his friend was drowning to death. And as he tried to give him oxygen from his tank, it was this crazy moment where his friend was, was freaking out and, and, it, and he actually had to lose his oxygen tank. His friend wasn't able to get the oxygen and his friend drowned to death. And this guy, his name was Antonio, as he took his last breath and began to swim for the surface of the water, he didn't realize it because he was in complete darkness, but he was swimming further into the cave. But he reaches a place where he can surface out of the water, and he takes a deep breath only to realize that he swam up further into the cave, and he found an air bubble that was about the size of a sink. The article that I read said that he began to scream because he knew that death was imminent. And he screamed so much and so loud that he lost his voice. And he knew that he was gonna run out of oxygen if, if nothing changed, and this is the place where he would die. There was a third scuba diver in this excursion, and he went back for help. The rescue team came. They found the friend that had, that had drowned to death, and they said, well, the other guy must have drowned too, and they left the cave. They called their boss, a guy named Nico, and they said, I guess you heard about the tragedy, and Nico said yes. And he went to bed that night, and something woke Nico up at three o'clock in the morning, and he had this thought, the other guy could possibly still be alive. And so he puts together a rescue team, and they go back out there, and Nico goes into this cave, and he's looking around with this flashlight in this dark water, and he sees the mask of one of the scuba divers. He thinks, oh my goodness, I'm on the right path. He comes to a fork in the cave and he chooses to go this way instead of that way. And as he goes this way, he shines his light and he sees two pale blue legs, one with enough energy still kicking. And he goes up and he graciously puts oxygen on Antonio's mouth. He puts the mask that he picked up in the cave on Antonio's face and he signals to him that I'm here to save you. Antonio had been in this air bubble for 17 hours. His body was shutting down from hypothermia and Nico, what he does is he begins to coax Antonio to grab this rope and let me lead you out of this cave. By this time, his body was so fatigued that he couldn't even swim and so Nico, his 
rescuer, he begins to push him along this rope. And not only did this man give him the oxygen that he needed to be able to get out of the cave, but he also gave him the energy that he needed and the direction that he needed to make it back home. And that's a picture of some of you here tonight. Your head is barely above the water and you're in a dark place and you're thinking, is there any help for me? And I'm here to tell you that there is one named Jesus and he has come to us all because sin tells us, so the Bible tells us that sin brought us into a dark place and we thought we were gonna be able to get out of this sin and this darkness on our own only to realize that we're trapped and our condition was hopeless unless someone came in to rescue us. The article said that after this whole escapade was over, the rescuer, Nico, he buried his hands in his face and he wept because he had just witnessed and was a part of a miracle that saved this man's life. And what the Bible says is that Jesus, the way that he rescued us, is that he gave his life for us and that three days later he rose from the grave so that you would know that you are not alone in your darkness, so that you would know that you are not alone on the journey to be delivered out of the dark place that you may be in tonight. But there is a God that loves you so much that he entered in your darkness. He gave you the oxygen that you needed and he will be with you to guide you out of that place. And so don't give up. And may you persevere. And may you find the help that you need in Christ. And may you find that help by being honest about the lies that are in your mind. And may you find that help by exchanging those lies for the unblemishing promises of God. And may you find that help by living in the light. And may you find that help by persevering. H-E-L. Let me pray for you guys. Lord Jesus, thank you so much just for this opportunity to be able to spend some time in your word. God, I ask that you would bless this moment right now, that you would bless it with honesty, that if someone's here and they feel like that man, Antonio, that just are barely keeping their head above the water, God, that they would cry out to you and that you would save them. God, that you would begin to give them the direction that they need, the, the energy that they need to get out of a dark place. God, I pray that you would also help us to be honest about the lies that are floating around in our mind and maybe we're not in such a dark place, but maybe we're not far from that. And God, help us to employ some of these these great tools that you've given us to be able to find freedom in our thinking. And God, I pray that you would give us your mind and that we would be able to see ourselves the way you see ourselves, that we would be able to see the world the way you see the world. We'd be able to see others the way you see others. We would be able to see you the way you long for us to see you. And you would help us to have the victory that is promised in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.